a few months ago, I found myself in a place where I was just tired and I was beat up and I wasn't really appreciating all the things I'd worked for. And I got lucky. I just had this shift in perception. And I came home and I was beat up for the day. And then I woke up and realized like everything's great. And that in fact, my default needs to be positive and my default needs to be good vibes only. And when I started shifting to that as the way that I carry myself all the time, these incredible people started coming into my life. And I'm starting to meet these people that are living the life I want, finally, because before I've always thought that the people that I wanted to be like were living the life I want. And then when I got there, I realized they weren't. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Okay, hello and welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast where we tell the stories and strategies of everyday millionaires and unveil their current portfolio allocations. This is Clark here alongside my co-host Jace and this is episode number 106. On today's show we have Justin. He has a current net worth of about four and a half million. He's invested primarily in real estate and also has extensive experience in oil and gas. He was a corporate lawyer and has since gone off on his own. So a terrific story with someone who's a high achiever and also extremely driven. On last week's show, just for a quick recap, we had Sherry. She has a current net worth around 800000 and works as a STEM consultant. She has about $500,000 in cash, both from personal use and business, and about 200000 in other investments. She talked about her financial journey, how she was able to increase her income, and provides great advice for those people in similar positions. But before we get into that interview with Sherry, I just want to thank our sponsor, Obsidian Capital, for supporting the show. Creating passive income is one of the quickest ways to create and establish wealth. At Obsidian Capital, their core philosophy is to enable qualified investors to create long-term wealth passively through strategic real estate investments. Their team of experienced real estate professionals identify stabilized and value-add multifamily real estate assets that will provide strong financial returns, a healthy risk profile, tax incentives, and additional benefits that come from investing in real estate. They pride themselves on a high level of integrity and have experience in acquiring and managing over $300 million in multifamily assets. Furthermore, their leadership has over 45 years of combined industry experience. View their website today to learn more about their streamlined investment process at www.obsidiancapitalco.com. Also, we'd love to share your millionaire financial story. So if you're a millionaire or one who's close to becoming a millionaire like we had on last week's show with Sherry, we'd love to have you on. Our goal is to share a broad list of guests and talk about their stories. So if you'd like to be on the show, please reach out to us. Our email is millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. But without any further delay, let's get into today's interview with Justin. Justin, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and kind of what you're up to now? Yes. First, thank you guys for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here with you, and I love what you guys are doing. I think illuminating how people become millionaires turns it into a formulaic thing instead of an unknown mission. Let's see. First-generation college student. Luckily, my stepdad came into my life and showed me through his family you know, the value of college education. I uh, wasn't much of a high school student, went to college because I did well on the ACT, and I went to a local school, Oklahoma State University. Uh, I started doing really well in school, um, got a degree in finance, and then when I started applying for jobs and this big payout for everything I'd been working for, it was I could manage a target, 
manage a Walmart or work at the Federal Reserve. And there's nothing wrong with any of those jobs. It just wasn't what I had in mind when I started. So I go to law school at University of Oklahoma, which I wasn't planning to, but the in-state tuition plus being closed made sense and really threw myself into it. But one of the issues was I didn't know any lawyers before I went. <laughs> so I go to law school and I'm working and all we're doing is reading and writing, reading and writing. I remember talking to my classmate and saying, you know, all we do here is read and write. She just looks at me with this ghost face and she said, Justin, that's all you do as a lawyer. And I was like, okay, maybe I've taken a wrong turn. <laughs> so <laughs> I go and I clerk at a law firm first summer and I made good grades. You know, I really put myself into this uh, to do well. And I worked at this law firm, which I thought was going to be this great experience. And I realized that everybody around me was pretty miserable. They didn't want to be there. They were rushing in and out. They were stressed. And I thought, well, that's just the first year. So I'm going to go, you know, I leave that firm. I backpack Europe for the second part of like the last month of the summer. And I remember before I left, everybody told me, get it in now because you'll never get it in later. And I remember just thinking, like, why is that such a common refrain of all these people? So go back to law school, interview again with all the firms. And I end up splitting my summer between a mid-sized law firm in Amarillo, Texas, and Chesapeake Energy here in Oklahoma City. And my life in Amarillo during that intern summer was much the same as my life the previous summer. I had an associate that I was working with who envied her husband who was working construction just because he got to see different things and get out. And I realized this wasn't going to work. You know, no matter how I wanted it to work, I really didn't want to be a law firm lawyer. And so I worked the second part of my summer at Chesapeake Energy, but they told me I wouldn't practice law, which I was disappointed about because I'd gone to law school. But it ended up being the best thing that ever happened. Chesapeake was a brand new growing company. We were, you know, just growing so fast and we were incredibly aggressive. And what my job was, I was a landman, so I was managing. When Chesapeake went into a new area, I would help them coordinate all of our contractors out the field. They would determine who owned what. Then they would sign contracts with all those people that owned mineral rights. And then once we had those contracts in place, we could drill wells. You know, when I got the Chesapeake job, I got offered at the end of that summer and I thought I was living the dream. I mean, I had a six-figure income. I had a secretary. I had an office. And then I realized that it kind of the future looked the same. You know, about a year later, I started figuring it out. It was the same day every day. And I couldn't move up at the pace I wanted to because there was a system in place. Uh, my brother, meanwhile, had married into a wealthy oil and gas family. And it was the first time I had gotten to meet wealthy people. And I'd held wealthy people on this kind of pedestal that they were different or better somehow, or some there was something they had that I didn't. And when I met the founders, who were great people, they didn't have a college education between them, but they just sold a company for $550 million. And I realized that I was on the wrong path, that there was no way that I could have a payout like that where I was, and so that I needed to start looking elsewhere. And then the other thing, too, is you know at the time when I was working at Chesapeake, I started buying things <laughs> like everybody does, accumulating debt, and trying to make that life okay. And I was at that point when I went to Barnes and Noble and I saw this book on their shelf that caught my eye and it was a four hour work week. So I was in the bookstore. I read the first 40 pages. I got shutters the entire way. It was the most honest writing I'd seen as far as what I wanted out of my life. And so I bought the book, put it on my kitchen table and knew I couldn't read it until I was ready to quit my job. Two weeks later, I passed it on my kitchen table. I picked the book up. I read it cover to cover and I decided to quit. So I leave the job. I go ahead and start my own oil and gas company with my brother because he had funding now. 
But we started pretty small, it was 100 grand, and I was carrying a salary. I mean, there's so many things that wouldn't have worked in the business, but we went after it. We grew that to a pretty good level. We, I remember we sold our acreage. My cut was 205,000, and then my brother lost his funding. So I had a period where I didn't really know what I wanted to do, didn't want to get a corporate job, didn't see any business opportunities. So I backpacked and motorcycled around South America for six months, came back. And was kind of, I was hanging out in Austin, having a really good time, subletting an apartment there and met my wife, realized I should start working again. So I started buying and selling leases, just like I'd done before, developed a reputation and eventually private equity companies with hundreds of millions of dollars came to us and said, Hey, here's what we want to buy. Here's what we want to pay. And I can build my margin there. And so I built that to a pretty good sized company. The last company I worked with on the project was headed by my mentor. He was an incredible guy. I mean, and during the project, he would ask me what I was going to do next. And every time he asked, I told him I wanted to be him. A few months later, we were talking and he said, hey, he needs to find a successor. He had a couple of guys that he thought would be good. He asked my opinion. I thought they were good people. And then he, find, he looks at me and he says, why not you? And I said, why not me? And so I was incredibly excited. I and mean, this is a $300 million private equity back or hedge fund backed company, bank lines. I mean, a lot of great things going on. And then I had my daughter and I realized that I was never home and this wasn't going to end. You know, this is just the beginning of this new life. And I'd just taken another corporate job. Um, I'd been dabbling in real estate. I bought a building here that fallen into my here and there that fallen into my lap. But after I started exploring it more and more, I realized that that was an escape route. And so I started meeting more and more realtors shopping more, figuring out the deals, figuring out the people to talk to you. I found a couple of really good mentors. And then Oklahoma passed a state question 788, which legalized marijuana. And Oklahoma also had the lowest standards for licensing in the country. So all these people around the country came here and I started buying buildings while I was working full time. And I looked up and I had 10 buildings under contract and have been going since then. So I was running two jobs at the same time, busy as, you know, really busy and Seeing my daughter grow up so quickly, you know, the difference between 30, you know, I'm 37 now, the difference between 37 and 38 really isn't that heavy, but the difference between zero and one is six months and a year is everything. And I realized I was paying people to, you know, help my wife who also works at home to take care of the baby when that's where I wanted to be. And so you know, I talked with my mentor, we went over it, we decided to part ways and now I'm on my own. So I'm doing real estate, but I'm also, I've been meeting so many people that there's just a lot of business opportunities out there, but that's where I am right now. Awesome. I want to get, I want to get some more details on some of your story and, and unpack some of those things and those decisions you've made along the way. But first, what's your net worth today? It's 4.5 million. And how is that kind of divided up? It's divided up in my oil and gas. So when I was buying and selling oil and gas contracts, they have a setup where as part of the deal, you can keep part of the of uh, your lease for yourself. And every time that the well that's drilled on that land produces, you get revenue. That's called an overrun. And so when I was buying and selling these leases, my goal primarily wasn't cash. It was just to carve out as many overrides as I could because I thought that'd be a way to build passive income. So I did that. I bought real a lot of real estate. Got some equity in my house and cash, a little bit in the market, but not much. And do you keep that allocation, you know, based on percentages at any certain level, or is it mainly, hey, wherever they find the deals, I'm gonna go and execute? It's the latter. You know, I, I try not to get too hung up with path and instead I focus on destination. So when I see opportunities or holes, 
even if I wasn't planning to go that big originally, if there's a hole that I, you know, that I can take advantage of or make money from, I'll go wherever it takes and then work out the numbers later. And do you try to keep a certain amount of cash on hand just for opportunities or is it floating month to month, quarter to quarter, just depends on what the deal flow looks like? That's where I've run into because I've, you know, I ended up buying in this last round about 13 or 14 buildings and I funded them myself. So now I am watching my liquidity. You know, the good thing is I've got equity in a lot of these buildings. Some of the buildings I paid for up front. I did very well in the oil and gas business up front. Not, not well enough to retire, but I had about probably 750 to a million liquid after my deals. And so I try to watch my cash, but where I'm starting to look for more is outside investment because I'm not going to be able to scale where I want with my own cash. And most high net worth people I know have some form of investment from outsiders. Yeah. So these, uh, let's dive into this real estate. So how many buildings do you own? Currently, I am at 17. And those are office or multifamily or? No, they're all mixed. They're all retail and a couple of warehouses now. And so, you you own those personally or, or some yep. of those are all uh, yours? And how much are you buying each of those for on average? My average purchase price across the entire portfolio is $75 a foot. $75 a square foot. And what about how many square feet? What's the whole thing? I own 63,000 square feet roughly. And so these are ones that fall into your lap or through relationships with brokers, you said? That's kind of how they're initially found? No, I actually drive around and find buildings and target them. Oh, wow. Yeah. In oil and gas. for dollars, baby. I have them for dollars, baby. It's what you got to do. I mean, if you want to have unusual results, you can't do the same effort as everybody else. And so in oil and gas, what was unique about the business is we never waited for things to go on sale before we tried to buy them. And what you realize is that everything's for sale. You just have to know how much the uh, seller wants for it. Right. So, you know, my grandma moved. Uh, she's 81. Uh, she's a lot of my life. And I brought her back here to Oklahoma to be close to me. One of the lives of my life, I should say. And so that's one thing we do together. She rides shotgun and we drive all over the Oklahoma City metro looking for buildings to buy. Hmm. So 63,000 square feet, $75 a foot is about $4.7 million. How yep. leveraged are you? Uh, I'm at 67% right now. And what are these, what are each of these 17 buildings cash flow on average? Right now I'm in the process of occupying the later ones. So I've got, I've got seven buildings that are unoccupied that I just purchased. I've got two that should be done today. Once I get them filled, if right now my monthly cash flow, I'm making 34,000 gross a month. And then my annual cash flow, once I get these buildings filled, will be 84,000 a month. Wow. And and what will you net? You know, I haven't really calculated that because of the payments. I haven't, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with my debt load and where I want my debt to uh, equity ratios. Yeah. So what I'm doing right now is the company I'm at, I'm leaving that and I had some acreage that was in process with them that I'm going to get paid for when I leave. And then when I have that liquidity event, I can kind of look and see where I am. I, I have about a million dollars coming from that, 750, I think. And then what I'll do is I'll look at my portfolio and see you know, what are the properties that are at a you know 10 or 12% cap rate that I can't move better? And I'll probably just try to sell those if I don't see the upside potential and rebalance the portfolio so I can be on my own and not have to work. Yeah. So how come you're more in, in the warehouse and retail versus the multifamily? That's just where you found the opportunity? A couple of reasons. At the beginning, I didn't want to own another business and manage another business. And so with multifamily, with that many moving parts... I would have had to manage, you know, hire staff, hire a property manager, and I didn't find any deals. 
multifamily has gotten so hot now that all the money is going that way. And when people are excited about things, the numbers make less sense. You know, some of these buildings are selling at like a seven or eight cap, which is just a seven or eight percent return, not including financing costs. And to me, that doesn't, first of all, I don't have enough money to make 7% retire. And two, it doesn't make sense to me to do all that work for a 7% return. So the reason why I got into retail and marijuana or warehouses was because of all the marijuana related businesses coming to town and they have money and they're ready to pay. And they also do, you know, some tenant improvements and they improve the buildings. And so it's a little niche I've found that's been a lot of fun. So do you worry about kind of the shifting dynamic of retail at all to, to more an online focus and away from the stores or does that not impact you too much? It does. I worry about all. I don't worry, but I mean, I look and I pay attention to all of that. And what I've tried to do to get around kind of the retail crunch is I don't buy any large uh, strip centers. I only buy standalone retail and I buy smaller buildings that I can buy cheaper than what it costs to construct it. So what does that mean? Who are some of your tenants or leaseholders? Well, just different uh, dispensaries around town. So I'm up to seven, six or seven dispensaries in my buildings here. And then, you know, just kind of some different services. Because I yeah. think that smaller buildings will always be used for some kind of service industry. Sure. Know, whether things you can't do online. But for that reason, I've stayed away from large strip centers, you know, big box stores for the time being until I can find a better uh, way to reposition those buildings than what they're being used for pre- currently. Yeah. So I want to go back in your story, Justin, when, when you're working, you're making six figures, you have a secretary, you have a good job, right? Many people would say, hey, I've been successful and I've made it, or at least this is the start, right? of a successful career. But then you meet these guys who had just sold the company for $550 million, and you say, all right, I've got to do something different. Then what? You, you read this book, you made the decision, you knew you wanted to quit your job. How did you find exactly what you wanted to do and, and how did you kind of narrow down your options? That's a great question. Initially, it was trial and error because I didn't, I didn't have mentors I felt comfortable asking who were entrepreneurs. And so when I left Chesapeake, I thought my goal would be Auburn McClendon, who is the founder of Chesapeake and one of my heroes as far as what he did for Oklahoma City and everything else. I thought I would participate, meaning pay my share of costs in oil and gas wells that were being drilled and then use investor money to build that up and then collect passive income off of the wells production. The problem with that model is it was taking too long. I, that's what I started to do when I had my own company. And it was taking too long. I was burning through my capital. And I wouldn't receive an, enough ROI to float the business. And so I started buying and selling leases, which I had heard people do, but I'd never seen it that close, and especially at that time. And the first deal we did, we doubled our money. I remember I found out that Chesapeake, was gonna buy, they bought my first deal. And I remember I found out in the airport in Las Vegas and started crying because it was just, it proved it was possible. It, it proved that there was more here because, man, when you go out on your own and if you don't have a network and friends, it is a scary place. Right. And very few people, especially in my world at the time, could really identify or help. The irony now is that now that I'm an entrepreneur and comfortable with it, I have a million entrepreneur friends. And because of that, I always try to give back and help other entrepreneurs who are starting and reach out and kind of check in and make sure everything's going okay. Awesome. Good for you. Good for you. And, and, and I agree. I think so. So you knew in the back of your head, you could raise money though. You knew you had enough connections initially that you could raise money if you needed it to buy something and keep going. No, not really. I mean, at the time, my brother, you know, he had some extra cash. And so him and his, the family he married into their attorney 
they invested $100,000, which at the time seemed like all the money in the world. But there were a couple of problems with our system. One, they were giving me a salary of 4000 a month. <laughs> so it makes it tough to have any kind of ROI on hundred grand when you're pulling 4000 a month out of the company. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Right. And then two, you know, oil and gas is expensive. I remember the first deal I looked at to flip, it was one lease and it was going to cost me $64,000. And if I missed, if I was wrong, an oil and gas lease is much like an options contract or an option contract. It has three years. And every year that it doesn't get drilled, it's worthless or it can be worthless. So it was basically a one shot deal if I did it this way. And it was, you know, 64 grand that I either would double or lose all my money. And so that was a struggle was trying to find another way where I wouldn't have to put all my eggs in one risky basket. I ended up teaming up with a guy. We just left chess people had a better relationship there. And that's something I learned in the hindsight too, is you've got to be best friends with everybody. I mean, just be a good person, be helpful, be nice in every stage of your life because you don't know where people are going to be later. And I left Chesapeake. I was a kid. I didn't, you know, I was, I thought I was smart enough and good enough. And that's why I was there. But only after leaving Chesapeake and reflecting, I realized it's all the relationships and people. It really doesn't matter how smart you are past a certain point. And so we ended up doing a big deal. That was where I got that cash out I had talked about previously in the podcast. But yeah, so I didn't have a large amount of capitalization, which made everything tough, but we built from it. Yeah. So looking back, I mean, one could argue that, hey, if you leave kind of a, a, a comfortable, right, in quotes, office job that's maybe a little bit more stable, that first move or that first pivot is critical, right? So, so, so are you glad you did that and it kind of helped teach you some of these lessons or in hindsight, do you wish you would have done something different? I am so thankful I left because if I hadn't left at that time, it would have gotten a lot harder. I didn't have a wife. I didn't have kids. I didn't need to spend any money so I could live as lean as I needed to. And that age, you know, post college, post law school was the per for me, it was the perfect time. But happy also that, that that's the job you took where you were starting with your brother with a hundred thousand that are you glad that's what you did or do you wish you would have done something different besides that? Oh, I'm, I'm thankful. Yeah, I'm very thankful that that was the opportunity. Gotcha. So do you hold, just going back to your allocation here, do you hold anything in the markets, any market investments? I have like 100K and a 401K, but I don't, I don't invest in the market. And why is that? I don't really believe in it as a retirement tool. I feel like the stock market, other than dividend stocks that have value, uh, is only a stock is only worth as much as the next person will pay. And I don't have I don't have control. I don't have leverage. And it's tough to cash flow. And the tax savings and deductions for me currently aren't great. I mean, yeah, I can defer until I'm 55 or 62 or whenever, but it just never really made sense to me as a retirement tool in the same way that real estate and other things do. So, Justin, you've got this great net worth. You're young, you've got a young family. Where do you kind of go from here? <laughs> I've really been gifted with some great mentors in my life. A few months ago, I found myself in a place where I was just tired and I was beat up and I wasn't really appreciating all the things I'd worked for. And I got lucky. I just had this shift in perception. And I came home and I was beat up for the day. And then I woke up and realized like everything's great. And that in fact, my default needs to be positive and my default needs to be good vibes only. And when I started shifting to that as the way that I carry myself all the time, these incredible people started coming into my life and I started to meet the people I want to be like because every stage of my life, 
what I've done, and you know, it's the Steve Jobs quote that you can't connect looking forward, but only looking backwards. I've been really blessed. I've always found star mentors every step of my life. So in college, I had this friend Drew who was, he was, you know, he loved to party, but he also always went to class and he had a, you know, 3.8 GPA and got a job, you know, at a big four accounting firm. And then in law school, uh, my best friend was number one in our class and her dad was a lawyer. So we had all, you know, I had all of the benefits of being a generational lawyer, even though that wasn't my background. You know? And so each step I met great people. And my friend Michael, who I've just reconnected with, I hadn't seen him since eighth grade. And we connected over Facebook. They had their first baby and they retired for a year and a half. And I'm starting to meet these people that are living the life I want, finally, because before I've always thought that the people that I wanted to be like were living the life I want. And then when I got there, I realized they weren't. So right now, uh, the next step for me is I'm going to shut things down here. I'm going to grab uh, the wife and the kid and we're going to go to California. And Michael, the guy that the universe gave me is going to let us stay in his beach apartment, which I don't know how that happened. It's crazy. But, you know, I just put out, I asked on Facebook, does anybody have a vacation spot we can stay at? And he did. I think once you start embracing these, what seem like accidental occurrences, more as tailwind and embrace these opportunities, you don't know where you're going to end up. So I'm going to take the kid, the wife and the kid, and we're going to leave for a month and just reset and then see where I want to be. And I'll, I'll continue to do my real estate stuff. But the good thing about that is I can do it on the road. Yeah, well, I think that's awesome. Now, you mentioned you. That, that you took a trip and you spent some time going around South America, kind of trying to figure figure things out. Were there any key lessons you've learned from that? You know, we've had a few millionaires that have had some sort of key event like that in their life, whether it was in their 20s or their late teens, where they just kind of went free for all, if you will, and maybe on a path of self-discovery or something. Was there anything you learned when you did that? Yeah, I learned that to believe in myself. I was by myself on a motorcycle for four months and I went, you know, I bought the bike in Bolivia and then rode through Argentina and Paraguay and Sao Paulo, Rio, you know, Machu Picchu. And throughout I was by myself and learned that I can take care of a lot and that security in any form is false. You're, you're as good as you are and your relationships. And so that gave me the confidence that no matter what I would face, I'd be okay. That. I don't need a lot. I lived out of a backpack for four months or six months. So to me, that was one lesson. I think the other lesson I learned was that a life with travel, but travel for travel's sake is purposeless and empty. And so one of my goals in the past was to retire and travel full time. And after that trip, I realized that that wasn't going to work. That wasn't enough. That there, for me, there had to be an element of giving in there, helping something extra that would give me purpose. Yeah. And I think early on, I think it's a good point because I think early on, sometimes we think, you know, everyone probably or most people rather that our work and money gives us that. Right. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe initially that's what it is, right? Because you're going to school and you get a master's or you go to law school and, and then you feel like, okay, I'm working for somewhere. Right. And you think that the mentors that you had is where you want to be. But like you said, once you get there, maybe you feel like, well, this isn't how I thought it would be. Right. Or it's not how I thought it would feel. And so, you know, I, I guess along the way, right, the, the money provides a sense of security, of course. Mm-hmm. But has it changed your your happiness levels, your confidence levels? Has the money shifted that at all? Or has it had you kind of just rethink your priorities and your purpose of life? That's a good question. It's hard for me to tell in hindsight, because the other thing I've learned is anything you have becomes normal. 
you know, any situation you're in becomes normal somehow, unless you really work to have gratitude. I think that having some space has given me enough time to kind of relax and take stock of where I am because I'd been working manically for the last five years. You know, when I decided I wanted to marry my wife, I was living in a sublet apartment just west of 6th Street in Austin and in my dad's trailer just east of Oklahoma City. I was splitting time and I really didn't have a lot going. So it was night, you know, that period of time having that money has given me the freedom to choose my opportunity rather than needing to push myself into an opportunity immediately. Yeah, no, I think I think it's a good point. And, and just to follow that up, I know Jay's kind of talked about where you go from here. And, and maybe this is what the California trip is for to kind of see what your goals are or where you do want to be. But is there a net worth goal or a passive income goal as of now? Or that's still in process figuring out? When we started doing the real estate, our passive income goal was 30000 a month. And what I loved about real estate is while that number seemed audacious, real estate's pretty formulaic. And, and is that net or gross? Sorry to interrupt you. That was net on that. And so, but what I loved about real estate is that unlike the stock market where I can invest 15% of my, like Chesapeake had a hundred percent match on our 401k and it was up to 15% of your salary. And so everybody at Chesapeake thought they were going to be retired and wealthy. And when I was started at the company, stock was 30 bucks a share. It ran up to $75 a share. And when I was there in 2008, and then by December it was worth nine ninety nine. And now it's not, it's worth three bucks. I think I haven't checked in a while. So uh, I don't have a net worth goal. I have a passive income goal, which is now that we've worked three thirty thousand a month, I don't know what my new goal is. I've realized I need to step back. I have some very successful entrepreneur friends who are worth a lot of money, but who don't have the balance that I'd like to have in my life. And I really want to be a good parent, and I want to be a good father, and I want to be a good husband, and I want to be a good member of the community. And I'm going to take this trip as a time to really look at my goals and decide how much of my time I'm going to protect for time without activity, you know, a time to walk my daughter to the park or for us to go on vacation or for me to volunteer to help. And so because I don't have a firm number, I just want to live a better life. That's the choice. Yeah, no, I like that. And I think you're taking the time to kind of take stock and figure out what matters. Just as a heads up, the stock's just over $1.50 right now. <laughs> At, at end of September. So Man, those retirement numbers they gave me back in 2008 don't look nearly the same now. <laughs> and that's so, why for me, that's why the market terrifies me. Yeah. That was real money I put in there. You know, I probably had a hundred grand in there in 2007, 2008. If I'd bought real estate at that time, a hundred percent or a hundred grand would buy me right. 5,000 in real estate. And if I had that at a 15 cap, which I've been running now, I average about a 20, like my across my portfolio, I'm at 19.6. For my lease properties. I mean, that's a five-year payout. If I had done that by then, you know, originally, I'd be a multimillionaire already. I mean, I would be a more of a multimillionaire, I guess. Yeah. What I age did you hit your first million? You remember? I don't. When I played poker as a kid, I would get in trouble. I played poker in casinos a lot. And I would get in trouble because I'd always count the chips. Uh, I was broke. And so every dollar mattered. I remember in college one time, I lost 20 bucks. <laughs> in a poker game and I went and cried myself to sleep. <laughs> That's how broke I was, right? <laughs> it was, and I hate losing money. And so one thing I learned from poker was that I don't count my chips. I just play the game. And my high net worth friends tell me that money is just a game. It really is. You know, once you get past the point of need, it's just a game. And so I don't count the numbers anymore. I don't really look that carefully. I just try to do good stuff over and over again and then take stock for it. Right. 
You mentioned, just want to touch back on, on your goals. You mentioned goal setting. Are you a big goal setter or how often, how many goals and how often do you, do you set and look at your goals? I am a goal setter. I haven't written down my goals as much recently. It's something I'd like to get back to. I'd gotten so busy working in the business. I wasn't able to work on my business. And so I am due for a reset of goals. Gotcha. And then, and you mentioned, you know, you were working hard a while to build this up before you had your first kid. What would you say was, was work one of the things that really helped you become a millionaire and, and reach this level of success? Or obviously it was finding good opportunities as well, right? Cause you're always driving around and looking for, for these properties to buy. But is there anything else that maybe you can point at and say, Hey, those are the one, two or three things that really led to my financial success? Yeah. Hard work. I was very, I'm so thankful I went to law school because in law school, you learn how to suffer for a long time and sit still. And so I remember the first semester, we had a six hour handwritten exam in criminal procedure. Ugh. Ugh, right. I mean, I, I would sit in the library and I'd study every Saturday and Sunday from, you know, I'd, I'd study for 12 hours straight. And so that's a big thing, right? Of setting a goal, sticking to it, keeping your head down and not stopping until it's accomplished, no matter what it takes. That's necessary Two relationships, uh, being a good person, you know, being somebody that people want to be around, being 100 percent impeccable with your word and changing the perception. You know, when I met my wife, another mentor, you know, my wife is incredible with people and I struggle with social anxiety all the way through high school, college, law school. And then went out on my own and realized that the only way I was going to make it was if I was social because business is social. and so. Building, being a good person, building good, strong relationships, doing more than what you say you're always going to do. And then if there's ever a problem with somebody, talking to them about it right away and fixing it. Even if that means you have to eat some of your profit or cost or whatever, the relationship is always worth more than one deal. And that's a mistake I've seen people make over and over again is they will try to cheat or get ahead on one deal or do the wrong thing, but then they don't get any more deals because the negative travels so much faster than the positive. Positive takes a lifetime to build. The negative takes 10 minutes to run. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I just want to wrap up here with some rapid fire questions. We won't take much more of your time and then end with maybe your last uh, bit of mistakes or advice. Uh, sure. So what's been the most expensive car you've ever purchased? Uh, I bought my dream car. I bought a 1986 911 Turbo off of eBay. <laughs> it was a funny story. Um, <laughs> nearly killed me, but I still got it. It's good. Um, so, yeah. That's probably been the most, but I'm not really an extravagant spender on things. I spent 37 grand on that. I bought a bike. I bought my Viper for the same price. Um, the dream cars I had when I was a kid. Okay. What about your most expensive shoes? $125, I think. Okay. Most expensive meal out that you've personally paid for? I'm not much of a foodie. So in Oklahoma, about 200 bucks, 300 bucks, I think is the most I've ever spent total anywhere. Page when you first became a millionaire, we talked about that. Items that are worth spending more money on, you kind of said now experiences and family. Is that right? Yes, and also where you live. I would throw that in now. Okay. You upgrading house or have you upgraded your lifestyle as your, as your income and net worth has increased? Or Yes, and that's something else that comes part and parcel with making more money is that your expenses go up if you're not careful. But yeah. one of the really good moves we made, uh, my wife is from Las Vegas. You know, We met. From basically, I met a stranger five minutes before in a bar in Las Vegas, and he handed me the phone and my wife was on it. And we did long distance for two years, and then she moved to Oklahoma. But the hard part about Oklahoma is everybody's from here, so meeting people was tough. 
And you realize that a lot of life is your tribe and the people you're around. You know, you are the five people you spend the most time with. And, you know, at first we lived in a regular kind of suburban house and it seemed like a lot at the time. And then we made a group of friends that lived closer to downtown and midtown Oklahoma City. And they were just such good, happy, positive people. And it felt like a family. And so I ended up buying a historical house that is close to downtown because I wanted that group, but also because I didn't want to commute. It's been the best thing I've done, you know, because I have so many good, successful friends that are nice people that I can hang out with. And also, you know, it's the network. Yeah. And do your friends and family know that, that you're wealthy? Are you open about this or not so much? Mm, it's been tough with friends and family at times just because your life changes so much and different people react in different ways. So I don't think they know my number, uh, everybody. But I think they know my lifestyle has definitely changed. I was the cheapest person you'd meet in college. <laughs> I mean, after I remember at Chesapeake when I was started there and I was making six figures, I didn't allow my brother who was living with me to turn on the air conditioner during the day because it was too expensive. <laughs> but, you know, I was so cheap. So when people saw that I wasn't cheap anymore, they're like, what the what's going on? And I was like, guys, I was just cheap for a reason. I didn't have any money coming in. <laughs> I was, I was when did that switch flip from going cheap to not? Okay. So when I got back from South America, I had that, what was left of that liquid, like that sale I had, right? So I think I had about 50 or 60 grand left and that was it. And so it didn't change until that was 14, 13 when I came back. 14, I was trying to accumulate all that acreage. I had a deal with Aubrey McClendon and uh, American Energy Partners. That was my first big deal when I got back and then they breached it. <laughs> so I worked a year for nothing, which was kind of funny. And then... uh 15, I started making some money. 16, I think, is when it started to loosen up. I saw that we were, I mean, we were doing really well and I could kind of relax and start enjoying what I built instead of trying to preserve it. I also, having learned now, I wish I learned this older or when I was younger, scarcity is a mindset. And so you have to be really careful when you have a scarce mindset because it's hard to make money when you think like that. Right. If every deal you do, you've got to squeeze out every dollar. If every time you go to dinner with somebody else, you never pick up the bill. If every time there's a coffee, you wait because you feel like you're broke. You don't get the build, the rapport. And also just, I feel like the more you give, the more you get, whether that's money, whether that's time, whether that's advice, whether that's love, whether that's friendship. And so I really focus more on giving more. You know, when I feel it or when I see it, when I go to coffee with somebody, I try to pay. You know, when I go, and I remember all my mentors did that. Every time I went to lunch with a mentor, they would never let me pick up the bill. And I told them my goal was one day to be wealthy enough they'd let me pick up the check. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you on the mindset thing. And, and if you listen to the last interview or the 100th interview we just released, uh, David, net worth of $100 million, he talks a lot about that. So I totally agree with you. I'm going to check that out after this. So uh, last couple questions here, as much as you're comfortable sharing, what's been your range of household income through your working life? One summer, I sold Kirby vacuum cleaners door to door. I made $1,500 in the last two months or last month. <laughs> the first two months, I got negative paychecks. We were giving away car vacuum cleaners in order to do the demonstration in somebody's house. <laughs> and I remember the first, the first 70 hour a week, I got a negative paycheck. It was like negative $64 that I'd given away four vacuum cleaners to do the demonstrations. Um, so that was about as tough as it got. Um, the best it got... I've made a million over the last three years, something like that. So I think I made 1.2 in 18, 1.3 in 17 and something. I think I made 816. Okay. And then what about your annual household spending? How much do you guys spend a year? 
I don't really track that. And that's a problem of mine. Um, I've gotten so busy working on the money making side that we haven't looked as much on the spending. Part of the reason I think is that I was too busy. And another reason was after South America, I learned that I wasn't going to be able to save my way into wealth. And that if I have things, rather than trying to save a dollar, I can make 10. And I focus my mindset more towards that. That's awesome. So Justin, just in closing, what kind of advice would you give somebody who's just starting out? Or if you were to mentor somebody, what's kind of the, the approach that you would take? Usually when I mentor people, especially now, I try to figure out what their limiting beliefs are and remove those. I try to teach them about good vibes only, about always being positive and optimistic. And then my other goal is radical relationship building. Love everybody around you. And my belief and something I've realized more recently is in life, there are generally there are givers, there are takers and there are matchers. And so you want to find the givers and then create safe environments with them because it's fun and you get to pay it forward all the time. And it creates this great uh, circle of happiness. You want to watch the takers, you know, and you won't know always. So the first time you have a bad experience with somebody, talk to them about it. And then if they don't, if they're defensive or angry or whatever, get them out of your life or limit their, limit your interaction with them. Because you can't, one thing I've learned and one thing I try to teach is nobody has the ability to change my mood unless I let them. And my mood is the most powerful thing I have, my mindset. Uh, awesome. That's Justin net worth of $4.5 million. Thanks from the show today. Thank you guys. I really appreciate the time. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.